when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then we turn to Acts 22. Acts 22. Beginning at verse 12 to 16. And here the Apostle Paul is explaining to um, the people in, in the, the Sanhedrin that uh, what had happened to him uh, at his conversion. And he says there, beginning at verse 12, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And then we turn to Romans chapter 6. First 14 verses. And there it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And then we turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3, we read there verses 1 to 11. And there the apostle writes to Titus, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, 
to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So far, the word of God. Let's respond to that word by seeing together Psalm 51, stanzas 1 and 4. Congregation, I proclaim to you the word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 26, but we also include with that the first part of Lord's Day 27. Lord's Day 26, and then the first two question and answers of Lord's Day 27. And there we confess from God's word the following. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you in this way? Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ, so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood of, and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. So far, the catechism. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, boys and girls who belong to him, what, what is the value of a key? In itself, a key is just a, a little piece of metal, not worth very much. But if you think it through a bit, you realize that a key is a very valuable thing, actually. 
if you buy a house and the lawyer, at the lawyers, you, you sign your name to all the documents, you become the owner of that house, and then the lawyer gives you the key, and that key in your hand is the ultimate sign that the house is now yours. You can, gives you access to that house and to all its rooms, and that's, so what's, what's the value of the key then? Not much by itself, but very valuable on the other hand, because it shows that that house is now fully yours, gives you access. Zechariah Sercinus, one of the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism back in 1563, used the example of a key in his commentary on the Catechism in connection with baptism to show the value of this sacrament. After all, what is the water of baptism worth? What's the value of that water? It's just plain water. Or maybe even water from the Jordan River, such as used at the baptism of Prince Harry and Duchess Meghan's son, Archie, recently. That might have had a bit of more value in it than just the water out of the tap here. But when it comes down to it, it's just water. It's nothing more. Until you realize what that water demonstrates. You realize that in faith. What that water demonstrates. The water of baptism testifies that the whole house of God's kingdom is now yours. Your baptism is a sign And a seal for everyone who believes that God's house, the house of his salvation, his kingdom, it all belongs to you. You are heir of it all in Christ through the Spirit. And with that in mind, let's listen to what we confess, Lord's Day 26 and first part of 27 about the meaning of your baptism. We see it's a sign, we see its value, and we see it's a seal. First of all, it's a sign. We read a number of passages from the Bible that speak about baptism. They all show something about the the value of our baptism. Acts 2, the apostle Peter says to the Jews from all over at Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 22, the apostle Paul explains his conversion, and he quotes Ananias, who said to him, rise, Paul, and be baptized, And wash away your sins, calling on Christ's name. And finally, the apostle writes to Titus, who was missionary in Crete. And obviously, referring to baptism, he describes baptism as the washing of regeneration. So, strong words about baptism. Baptism itself, called washing away of sins through Christ. And it's also called then the washing of regeneration through the Spirit. And that's what's signified with the water. So if you know your Bible, you'll see that the washing or sprinkling with water points to two things. First, it points to the blood of the Lord Jesus, just as water washes clean of uncleanness. So the blood of Jesus washes away all your sins and guilt and unrighteousness. Remember those words of Ananias to Paul, be baptized and wash away your sins. And in the second place, that water of baptism also points to the Holy Spirit who cleanses, regenerates. Think of a passage like Isaiah 44, verse 3 in the Old Testament already, where the Lord promises renewal to his people. He says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So the Holy Spirit more and more 
cleanses the hearts from the sins that still live in us. And that's all confirmed by Jesus' institution of the sacrament of baptism in Matthew 28 when he commands his apostles and in them then his whole New Testament church to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the name of means you're placed under the the say and under the care of, of the triune God. When you buy a house, it's put in your name. When you buy a car, it's put in your name. You put your name on the documents, that means that that house, that car is officially yours in your name. You're, you have to take care of it. You have the say over it. Well, baptism in the name of the triune God means that you're officially, God puts you in his name. You're in his name. You belong to him, Father, Son, and Spirit. You're mine, he says. I, got the, I have the say over you, and I take the responsibility for you, full responsibility. So when you're baptized in the name of the triune God, that means that you don't belong to the devil and to death anymore. You've died to that. Sin doesn't have the ultimate say over you anymore. No, you belong to God, and sin and death no longer have dominion over you. And Paul writes about that in Romans 6. You belong to God the Father who adopts you as his child and heir, promises to take care of you. And you belong to God the Son who washes you with his blood, presents you to God as if you had never had nor committed a single sin in your life. And you belong to the Holy Spirit who promises to give you a new heart, make you ready and willing to serve God from the heart. So your baptism then signifies you're a child of the Father in heaven, you belong to the Son of God, and you are temple of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, your baptism means that you're heir of all things with Christ. It means the whole house of God's glory is yours, the kingdom of God. And your baptism is like a key for that. Do you realize how rich your baptism makes you then? And if you weren't baptized as a child, wouldn't that make you want to receive it as an adult when you come to faith? We come to the second part of the sermon, the value of your baptism. What's your, what's your baptism worth to you? How valuable is it to you? Well, thinking about the value of your baptism has two dangers, actually, and that's, that comes to the fore kind of in, the, in, the, uh, in the Lord's Day. First of all, there's a danger that you overestimate the value of your baptism. That, that can happen. That you overvalue your baptism. And on the other hand, there's a danger that you underestimate your baptism. You undervalue it. And there's a danger to both. It's like a ship sailing in a harbor between two buoys or or markers. If it sails too close to the one marker, it can end up getting stuck in the sand, can't get ahead anymore. Or if it sails too close to the other, it can end up hitting a rock. And that's how it is with the overestimation and underestimation of your baptism, overvaluing or undervaluing. If you get too close to either... You end up stuck or sinking as far as the meaning of your baptism goes. You need to avoid both to really appreciate the value of your baptism. And brothers and sisters, that's why those two questions and answers of Lord's Day 27 or 28, 27. um, Question 72 asks, does the outward washing with water itself wash away sins? Does your baptism by itself cleanse you of all your sins? Well, no, it doesn't. Faith is needed. 
You need faith. It's like Martin Luther once said, whoever believes has everything, whoever does not believe has nothing. Think again of the metaphor of the key. If you lose the key of the house you just bought somewhere and somebody else finds that key, is the person who found the key therefore automatically the owner of the house now? Does the house belong to you simply because you have the key to it? Of course not. If you're not the official owner of the house, then the key by itself doesn't make you a homeowner. And the same with baptism. Baptism by itself doesn't make you heir of everything. Whoever believes has everything, but whoever doesn't believe has nothing, even if he's baptized a hundred times. The thing is, baptism does not replace faith. And baptism doesn't mean faith isn't needed anymore. On the contrary, your baptism calls you to believe. Every baptism is it emphasizes that the baptized person and all who are baptized and seeing that need faith in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the washing with water at baptism signifies the impurity of our souls so that we are of ourselves sinful and unclean because of sin. We could never enter the kingdom of heaven. Why else would we need to be washed? So the washing with water at baptism declares to us that by nature we're unclean and condemnable before God. And so every baptism here is a reminder of our own sinfulness. And it's a call to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who alone can wash us clean before God. So the baptism here this afternoon is a call to all baptized covenant people here to, because they are baptized, embrace Christ in faith. Baptism highlights the call to faith. It doesn't replace it. It highlights it. If someone thinks baptism itself is my ticket to heaven, then baptism is grossly overestimated. If you think you'll go to heaven just because you've been baptized, then your baptism will become a nice soft pillow for you to remain spiritually asleep on, an excuse to remain spiritually lazy. Or it becomes a justification just to continue in sin. I have to think of the young single woman on the television show, The Bachelorette, who said she was baptized Christian, but said she engaged in sex, premarital sex. And she said, I've had sex, and honestly, Jesus still loves me. I can do whatever. It's all washed, and the Lord doesn't judge me, and, and it's all forgiven anyway. It sounds like the reasoning the Apostle Paul also found among some Christians in Rome. Let sin, that grace may abound. Brothers and sisters, young people, boys and girls, we have to watch out for anything uh, that, for, for that kind of thinking among us. Anything like it. Because then, even though you don't gain God's gracious promises by your good works and good intentions, you can lose his grace by living carelessly and unspiritually. We have to be so careful for that kind of thinking. And we also need to watch out that we don't leave the next generation with that type of thinking either. It'll be fine with me because I'm baptized. I'm I'm okay. I'm in. That's so dangerous because it makes life very peaceful and pleasant. Not much consciousness of the seriousness of one's sins and sinfulness. And therefore, little sense of the need for repentance and the fight of faith. You end up with people who imagine they're in an elevator going up to heaven, but actually that elevator has broken cables and is on the way down to destruction. But they don't know it. Congregation, let's make sure we live out of God's grace joyfully. Yes, but also humbly. Humbly. 
But there's also that other marker for the ship of faith, the danger that you underestimate or undervalue your baptism. That you think, well, it's all fine and well that I've been baptized and received those promises of God the Father, Father's adoption and God the Son's washing and the Holy Spirit's renewal. But how do I know for sure that, that I really can count on what I was promised? And you see, then, then I can only know that I have some kind, I can only know that, that I really have those promises if I have some kind of spiritual experience, if something special happens to me. And then I, then I feel God's presence. I feel him working in me. And that will be a sure sign that I'm really one of his children, that I'm, I'm one of his elect people. Well, that kind of thinking underestimates the value of your baptism. And that's also dangerous because then you start to live by your feelings. If only I could experience the presence of God. And then the purpose of church and spiritual life is to try to achieve that kind of spiritual type of uplifting experience. You want the Bible, the sermon, the songs, the prayers and worship to give you extra special feelings of God's presence so you know for sure that you're a child of God, that you belong to Jesus, and that His Spirit lives in you. And then you're always looking for that. Always and eternally looking for that experience. Brothers and sisters, young people, boys and girls, you also need to be careful that you, you don't fall into that way of continually searching for those spiritual experiences to try to be sure about God's favor towards you. To know for sure that he has adopted you as his child or you're constantly going to be looking for uplifting experiences in order to be certain while the Lord had you baptized exactly for that purpose so that you might be certain to give you that certainty. And that brings us to the last part of the sermon this afternoon, baptism as seal. Congregation, what is actually the value of your baptism? How can we avoid those two markers, overestimation and underestimation, overvalue, undervalue? Well, think again of those words of Martin Luther we mentioned before. Whoever believes has everything. Whoever does not believe has nothing. That comes right out of John, the Gospel of John, as you know. Baptism has great value, but then through faith. Faith. Every true believer's baptism assures him or her that they are child of God the Father, possession of God the Son, and temple of the Holy Spirit. But you need faith to see that. And I can see you thinking now, but okay. Couldn't you be a true believer without being baptized then? Well, don't forget, it's not easy to believe. The Apostle Paul urges Timothy to keep up the fight of faith. Believing puts you in a battle. To fight the good fight of faith means that you exert yourself to stand firmly anchored in the word, in the power of the spirit, reckoning yourselves dead to sin, which includes your feelings and your human reasoning, which are sinful by nature. And it means that you don't just let sin rule in your mortal body by obeying its lusts. It means doing what Jesus says, take up your cross daily and deny yourself. It also means dealing with difficult or even terrible things in faith. You don't experience God's favor at times. You might even feel beaten down and ignored by God. 
financial difficulties, you lose your job, you have health issues, relationship troubles in the family, miscarriage or childlessness, seeking a relationship but still single, and you pray and you pray but nothing changes, you feel far away from God, it feels like he's against you, he's ignoring you, you're not, you don't belong to him. It can be hard to keep believing faith is a battle, always. At times then you wonder, am I really a child of God? Am I loved by him? Are my sins really so completely forgiven in Christ that God doesn't see my sins or weaknesses anymore at all? That's almost unbelievable. And does the spirit really want to live in me? I'm so weak, I keep falling for that sin, that same sin. Even I, I, I say I'm not going to fall into it again, and I do. I hate it. But then, congregation, you can think of your baptism your baptism. I was baptized at the front of the church. My name was connected with the triune God's name. He says, I put my name on you. You're in my name. You're my child. And when I now embrace Jesus in faith, that I'm truly washed of all my sins with his blood, and the Holy Spirit will certainly live in me and carry me through all the ups and downs of my life. I believe that. And then your baptism is the reassurance of your faith. See, brothers and sisters, your baptism is God's constant seal and pledge. It's always there. In all the ups and downs of this life, in all the ups and downs of your feelings and emotions, that remains the same. That, that pledge that you have everything is always there. Whenever you accept by faith what it stands for, you're holding on to the key to God's house, his kingdom. It officially signifies and seals that you are heir of everything in Christ. Again, isn't it possible to believe without being baptized? Well, remember, we cannot believe out of ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can work faith in our hearts. I can't decide at a certain point, well, from now on, I'm going to believe. That doesn't work. The spirit has to work through the word by means of the gospel and strengthen by means of the sacraments. Also baptism then. So God clearly thinks that we need also that strengthening by the sacraments. That's because he knows how weak we are in ourselves That we need the sacraments, also baptism, for strengthening. So we need to take baptism seriously then, as God's help, as God's hand reaching out for to weak believers. And when you have hip replacement surgery, for instance, and the doctor says to you, you need to use crutches to get around for a while, you're not just going to ignore what he says and throw the crutches aside. You wouldn't be too smart to do that because you'd fall over not long afterwards. The same, it's the same with baptism. If you think you can believe and remain in faith in God's promises and you don't need baptism, you're not too smart either. You don't realize how weak you are in yourself and how prone you are to sin and unbelief. You don't realize what a battle it is to believe in God's promises in this life, and you will fall for sure. 
Oh, there will be times when things are going fine and it doesn't seem like it's a, a battle to believe at all. But if it's not a battle for you, that can be a big temptation too. Because then your dependence on God so easily fades away. But there will also be times when your faith will be tested and tried in different ways, maybe severely. Relationship woes, as we mentioned, financial problems, worries about health and future. Well, whether you go through times of temptation or trial, you can lean on your baptism. That's the thing. Your baptism is always there. You can't erase it from your forehead. It's there. You may feel far away from God, but then you can remember, he put his name on me. I was sprinkled with water at the front of God's church. And if you think about that, then your baptism will strengthen you, encourage you, helps you to remember what the triune God promised you. And you can depend on him. Your feelings may go up and down, but his promises to care for you, to wash away your sins, to renew you, they are always there. Sealed with water. You simply have to trust what was spoken at your baptism. And those things are yours. Congregation, how it grieves our covenant God if you doubt his promises. He says to his people and their children, you are my children and heirs in Christ. Because of Christ I forgive your sins and you are temples of the Holy Spirit. But we can be so doubtful of those promises. We all have to, have to deal with times of weakness and, and mistrust, right? We don't see how God is making real what he has promised. We don't experience that. We don't feel that he's going to do as he said. We're still so weak in our faith in this life yet. And that's why he instituted the sacraments for us. And that's what baptism is about. To reassure us of his love and his grace and his promises. As we confess in the Belgian Confession, Article 33, we believe that our gracious God, mindful of our insensitivity and weakness, has ordained sacraments to seal his promises to us and be pledges of his goodwill and grace towards us. To doubt that, congregation, you're throwing it away. Just take that, those promises that have been made to you at your baptism, then it's all yours. Then you, In faith, you have everything. When I feel I don't deserve God's love or I don't experience his care or I'm disappointed because I sense so little spiritual growth in myself, I can think of my baptism. The pledge of God towards me. He made promises to me, sealed those promises in my baptism. Would he lie to me? That's the meaning and the value of our baptism congregation. It's so that as we confess in the last words of answer 70, more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Assurance of faith is wonderful. Assurance of faith. But it's, assurance of faith is not an end in itself. The goal is more and more dying to sin and leading a holy and blameless life. That's the goal. That's what the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans 6, sin used to hold me. I was held hostage by sin. But Christ freed me with his blood, took possession of me, and so the triune God put his name on me. So why would I let sin have dominion over me again? Imagine that you were taken, by, taken hostage by ISIS in Syria. They tortured you. They threatened to kill you. But then there was a raid and you were freed. A raid in which one soldier died for your liberation. 
Would you then later go back to Syria again to where those ISIS people are? Would you let them take you captive again? Of course not. But that's what takes place when a baptized person goes back to sin, gives himself or herself over to the dominion of sin again. You don't want to go back there again, do you? You'd rather avoid and flee that place, right? Avoid and flee sin. That's why the Lord had you baptized. To assure you and reassure you so that you walk in newness of life. More and more live a holy and blameless life. Live as somebody who has been freed from the power of sin. Live as someone who sees himself or herself as God the Father's child and heir. As God the Son's possession. And as temple of the Holy Spirit. Live in the assurance of faith. Knowing that God has given me that key to his kingdom. I can live and walk around here and look at everything that God has given. And I'll know here too already in this world. It's all my inheritance. Amen. Congregation, let's sing in response to the proclamation. Psalm 71, stanzas 1 and 3, and we'll remain standing for the singing of the creed. <clears throat>